Millions of Americans earn and use credit card rewards. A few big box retailers want to take those rewards away. Rewards we use on groceries and school supplies. The cash back to save on gas and grow our small businesses. And travel miles we use to make memories. The so-called Credit Card Competition Act would eliminate credit card rewards. No more travel miles, no more cash back. When lawmakers help mega retailers line their pockets, we pay for it. Tell your lawmaker to vote no on the big box bill. Visit handsoffmyrewards.com to take action today. Indian scout, the Indian looks at John Wayne and points to the Union scout and says, he's a lion dog-faced pony soldier. Well, there's a lot of lion dog-faced pony soldiers out there about, about global warming. The 2024 Republican presidential primary field is taking shape. The battle lines are becoming clearer, and so is the field of candidates. Is the odds-on favorites, if you look at the polling, still Trump versus Biden? That seems to be it, but it's just way too early to tell. I'm more angry now, and I'm more committed now than I ever was. Big challenge for these candidates is going to be how do they navigate Donald Trump? And, and how do they navigate Ron DeSantis? You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. What an intro. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Ruthless. Do not adjust your sets if you're watching us here on YouTube. Everyone is out of the office on vacation except for yours truly, holding down the four, and our special guest today, Jesse Hunt. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to fill in. Yeah. Well, I mean, everyone is on vacation, essentially. Holmes, Ashbrook, Duncan, they took the day off, but I never take the day off, ever, I'm here to provide content to our wonderful listeners. And so here we are. That clip was Joe Biden uh, talking senselessly yet again about dog-faced pony soldiers. You're lying if you don't believe in global warming. Uh, there was another quote apparently he had today where in Vietnam he said he was more concerned about the temperature rising 1.5 degrees than a nuclear war. Uh so we have the experts on the case. Always good to know that, folks. Uh, but we're again here with Jesse Hunt. Uh, I'll remind our listeners who, who who may not have been here since the beginning, Jesse was actually on one of our ride-alongs, and it was one of our highest-rated episodes. So when they were in, I said, why not bring Jesse? <laughs> well, you know, that was a – I think we're coming off the uh, Virginia Gov victory. Yeah, that was huge. Yeah. You were at the RG at the time. What have yeah. you been up to since? I launched my own firm, uh, Monadnock Strategies, doing communications consulting, political work, you know, everything – that you can imagine that uh, someone like myself does after elect Republicans, essentially. I know you did that at the SC, yeah, you did that at the RGA, you did a great job. Thank you. Doing a little public affairs work now. So I'm just, you know, excited to come on and fill in for the folks. I like to think I have better sports takes than any of the fellows uh, that aren't with I think us. So, so it's if, not hard. If, we, if we do deviate any into that world, I, I'm sure I'll be able to. Uh, provide a little bit more color than they they normally. That's do. right. You QB'd in college, right? Uh, QB a- legend. Don't be <laughs> humble about it. Yeah, you know, I uh, ended up figuring out that uh, I was probably better suited to go into a career in politics. Than, than the NFL? Yeah. Not a bad choice. <laughs> so, folks, we have a very exciting show for you today. And the first thing I want to get into is there was this article in Politico saying that is 2024 going to be 2016 all over again? I want to read from this. Uh, it says, Pretty much everything has been said about President Joe Biden's weaknesses as a 2024 candidate, though not everyone has said it. That has mostly been fixed this weekend as a torrent of pundits weigh in on the Biden question 
Is his age, that's the problem, or the economy? Is it too late for a blue state governor to replace him? That's the whole Gavin Newsom switcheroo that you know folks have been talking about. Or is it that wishful thinking by the bedwetting faction of the Democrat Party? There's lots to dig into below and where this conversation is moving, but there's one thing we picked up in conversations this week that it isn't quite captured in the narrow debate about age and the economy. The theory of the case from Biden world is that Dems need not be concerned because 2024 is the election they know how to win. It's a combination of 2022 and, or 2020 and 2022 all over again, running against quote, Trumpian extremism and the erosion of abortion rights. But there's a creeping concern among Democrats that the overall gestalt of a Biden-Trump rematch may not be so much 2020 as it is 2016. So this whole thing to begin with supposes that Trump is the Republican nominee after uh, this primary. I think, first off, this goes for any Republican who would be running against Biden. I think a lot of Democrats are starting to realize he is way more vulnerable than they imagined. You know, it's easy when you're seeing a Republican primary to see, oh, it's all Republicans taking shots at each other. We can just coast. But at the end of the day, the vast majority of Americans are not happy with the way things are going. It's it's easy to see how uh, suddenly there are like uh, an abundance of kind of like bedwetting stories going around the National Press Corps. Uh, Dems starting to fret about Joe Biden because they're starting to get back. You know, they're actually starting to be uh, go out into the field and and test some of these candidates against Biden. And they're realizing that there are a lot of folks who uh, have the opportunity to knock off Joe Biden. And I just I would reject the premise of their. 24 relating to 2016 comparison, whereas, you know, somehow uh, the criticisms against Hillary Clinton in 2016 weren't valid and they should be dismissed. And therefore, you know, we're setting up this false equivalence now that Joe Biden's problems are the same as as, as Trump's like, well, uh, Joe Biden does have quite a few problems. And it's, it's bared out in significant amount of polling that we're seeing, you know, from places like the AP, you name it. You know, it's not just Republican internal polling that we're seeing. Yeah. So, so they bring that up in this article. It says... Uh, right here, what they mean, this is from the article in Politico, what they mean by that is Biden's vulnerabilities risk being blown up as equivalents to Trump. In other words, what they would describe as Trump's megalomaniac incompetence is no different than Biden's alleged cognitive decline. That Trump's dozens of criminal charges will generally equate it with Hunter Biden's legal issues. That the comparison of the Biden economy and the Trump economy becomes a wash at best. I don't know how that's a wash in that comparison, but Anyways, it says, uh, in this version of bedwetting, 2024 becomes another but her emails, just like you were saying, uh, campaign, rather than another MAGA and choice campaign. I do think that it's becoming more apparent that a lot of mainstream Democrats really took this campaign cycle for granted. They thought, oh, you know, it, it's, it's either going to be Trump or some other Republican, and it's going to be so simple to beat him. Biden's in a great place, but I think that shows a lot of just how insular their thinking is. Like a lot of the 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 Democrats basically their beating heart is New York City and DC, right? And th and they're like, "Well, we're doing fine. We don't understand why anyone doesn't think this is a great economy." Exactly, because they look at certain metrics and indicators and think that a lot of the American voters are uh, simply you know, watching, uh, you know, unemployment numbers every day, then like the felt economy is the problem. Yeah. Right now, inflation is still a massive issue. They don't feel like their wages are keeping up with the costs of goods that they're having to deal with. So this this notion of Biden, Bidenomics, right? Like it's it's been an utter failure. They failed to message it. Um, he's not getting any sort of uh, credit 
for any of his policies. And quite frankly, because you know one of his hallmark policies was the Inflation Reduction Act, which the CBO and everyone else said wasn't going to do a thing to uh, to reduce inflation. And then you've seen multiple stories in the last you know few weeks that yeah, lo and behold, it did not in fact have any bearing on lowering the rate of inflation. And in fact, inflation ticked up month over month uh, just recently. So that's the what that's what actual human beings are feeling. That's what moms of four are feeling when they go to the grocery store. The cost of, I, I've seen recent polling that shows in, on a state level, in a state like Arizona, uh, that the most uh, concerning good or most concerning area that voters have when it comes to the costs go increasing is in food. Not even cars, not anything else. It's food. That's the Grocery thing. Bills. Is, I, I think this story is less about is is twenty twenty four going to be another twenty sixteen. I think it's more about just how disconnected the Democrats have become from actual voters where they like they rolled out this Bidenomics thing at the exact moment that you're just getting poll after poll of Americans saying that like yes this feels like it's a terrible economy we don't understand why the White House keeps telling us that everything is rosy meanwhile like you said like food costs have gone through the roof like people are paying over $700 more a month for the same things that they were getting years ago there's mm-hmm. been there's been no increase in in their salary to account for that but at the same time they're paying more uh, you know, I think now for, for, for Dems to only come to this conclusion now is really interesting to me. I, I wonder if they're trying to use this other, you know, all these other issues that Biden has as maybe let's, let's, let's try, try to do the switcheroo, you know, like bring in Newsom. You saw Newsom was in the news. Uh, there, there's that whole situation with Diane Feinstein where he's trying to walk this line of, okay, he's promised the same way that Joe Biden promised he would pick a black woman for his vice president. Newsom made a promise that if it comes to it, he would replace Diane Feinstein with a black woman. And then he said, but it's not going to be Barbara Lee. Uh, I, I think you see this situation where he realizes, okay, I may get called up to the majors. So I need to like walk this thin line, make the right decisions. Because I mean, I don't even know if Biden's going to make it to the finish line. Like there's no hope of him being able to have, like, I, I know that it was in the news that Dr. Jill Biden's got COVID, but I don't think he's going to be able to run from the basement again. Yeah. And that's the that's the thing. Uh, there's, there's, being president of the United States is a bright spotlight on you. Uh, actually being the president is a whole lot different than being a candidate for president. And right now he's suffering from, uh, you know, an intense uh, media scrutiny that comes with anyone who would, who would be in this role. And he's not going to be able to avoid, uh, he, they're not going to be able to hide what is a very natural process. He's, he's aging. Yeah. Um, and he's struggling to keep up uh, with, the t- with the pace of, of American media, where you actually have to communicate on a daily basis uh, with the people you were elected to represent. You can't just you know, rely on Karine Jean-Pierre to come out and give some you know, jumbled answer on you know, whatever issue of the day might be, or dispatch Pete Buttigieg or, or another cabinet official, or better yet, Kamala Harris, right? Yeah. I, I know I love how they've done this whole like Kamala uh, 2.0. It is like it's direct ripoff from Veep. Yeah, it's like Veep, it really is. <laughs> like 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 Veep Veep uh, Veep 2.0 when uh, Dan told Selena about the whole you know new unveiling of herself. That's what they've gone to with with uh, I mean, Kamala point, Harris. Kamala, it's like 5.0. The, yeah. the, the number of times they've tried that reboot. Um, however, speaking of uh, failed reboots. Did you see the story about Jen Granholm in the news? Um, folks, I'm talking about this. This is uh, from NPR. Uh, when Secretary of Energy Jennifer Granholm set out on a four-day electric vehicle road trip this summer, 
She knew charging might be a challenge, but she probably didn't expect anyone to call the cops. Granholm's trip to the southeast from Charlotte to Memphis was intended to draw attention to the billions of dollars the White House is pouring into green energy and clean cars. Though this draws attention not the way that they thought it would, it says the administration's ambitious energy agenda is successful, could significantly cut U.S. emissions and reshape Americans' lives in fundamental ways. Sure can. Uh, including by putting many more people in electric vehicles. On town hall stops along her road trip, Granholm made a passionate, optimistic case for this transition. But here's what actually happened. Uh, between stops, Granholm's entourage at times had to grapple with the limitations of the present. Like when her caravan of EVs, including a luxurious Cadillac Lyric, a hefty Ford F-150, and an affordable Bolt, were planning to fast charge in Grovetown, a suburb of Augusta, Georgia. Her advanced team realized there weren't going to be enough plugs to go around. One of the station's four chargers was broken and others were occupied, so an energy department staffer tried parking a non-electric vehicle by one of those working chargers to reserve a spot for the approaching energy or Secretary of Energy. That did not go down well. A regular gas-powered car blocking the only free spot for the charger? In fact, a family that was boxed out on a sweltering day with a baby in the vehicle was so upset they decided to get the authorities involved, they called the police. This is, I mean, again, this is like something out of Veep. You could not make this up. They're trying to highlight how great electric vehicles are. Turns out they're a pain in the ass. They had to use like a gas-powered car to block out a spot for her to charge as she approaches, and they end up boxing in a family with like the baby crying on a sweltering day. You, you, you couldn't even write a better better joke for this. I can think of no more egregious action by any campaign advance staffer than preventing a family with a young baby in the car from getting <laughs> access to a charger <laughs> that will allow them to then move on and get the hot baby out of a hot car. Like, it's we're all amazing. talking about how hot things have been in, in, in different areas throughout the country. And here they are, uh, uh, official government staffers blocking a family with a baby in a hot car. And also, what I love is is they didn't, like, they just glossed over the fact that, yes, there are gas-using vehicles in this caravan because they wanted to make sure everything worked correctly. They're like, okay, well, we got to make sure no matter what, she's safe. Everything goes fine. We got to have Suburbans that run on gas, you know, make sure everything actually works. We don't know if we're going to run into any issues at charging stations, which they ended up doing. But they're like, okay, now use the car that works here to actually block out a spot. And it ends up blocking out a family with the kid crying in the back because it's burning hot. I mean, this is another perfect situation. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. I mean, I... You know, I'm going to take a guess and, you know, chances are I might be right given the where the Democrats pull from when it comes to hiring staffers. But this must be, a you know, maybe an Ivy League educated uh, oh, government totally. staffer. And they just, you know, obviously can't deal with conflict resolution. It's yeah. also like, yeah. hey, if the family's upset. Maybe move the car. Yeah. And so that the crying baby will be able to move on and go to their They're in Georgia and they're like, I went to Dartmouth when this family's like, what the hell are you doing here? You know, like it, it, it's, it's a typical situation. And it, to me... It basically shows the exact energy policy that they're trying to highlight, where it's you see polling where Americans actually don't want to buy electric cars. They do not want to buy them, but it's being forced on them as you know more restrictions are being put on uh, traditional cars. They're, this administration is trying to force Americans to go electric, and all they've ended up doing on this road trip 
is highlighting the problems that electric cars actually face. Uh, you know, what else could be expected from this administration? Well, this is what happens it's when Democrats go out to real America and have to interact with different people who have other issues that are, you know, troubling their lives, have other responsibilities that they have to deal with. I remember when, uh, talking to several um, official office staffs uh, in different governor's offices when I was working at the RGA about how concerned they were with the string that was attached to the federal funds for the EV vehicles, mm -hmm. uh, for EVs um, to build the charging stations where it was required that they do it every 50 miles. Well, like, practically speaking, it was not possible. A state like Wyoming um, had to ask for um, a workaround because it just wasn't feasible. Like, this is a state that has wildlife overpasses, so, like, cattle can go across their highways. Like, I don't think the federal government, when they implemented this plan, had any idea that you know, there will be places that are so rural that they can't actually adhere to the guidelines that were issued. Uh, just underscores how, how disconnected they are from so many of these different places outside of major cities or major metropolitan areas. And that's the thing is like right here, it says this is uh, in a, like uh, right outside of Augusta, Georgia. If anywhere, I would think has availability for electric car chargers, it'd be like Augusta, right outside the Masters, you think like, you know, you, you have hundreds of PJs that fly in every year for the masters i'd imagine you have the, the the audience and the clientele and the population that would want a lot of electric chargers but like if it can't work there if they're facing issues where like the energy secretary is having to have people block off our charger i don't know how it works for the rest of like you said in, in rural parts of this country the majority of this country which are rural i don't know how uh they hope to get it wor to work but i think you know the trip ended up highlighting this administration's policy, just not in the way that they imagined. Um, so this this next story, I'm really excited to get into. <laughs> this is something I, I first saw the journal reported on this, and I instantly sent it to McDaniel. Is like, okay, I, I have to cover this for Tuesday's episode, folks. There has been a mysterious discovery in the ocean. This is from Business Insider. It says ocean explorers found a golden orb on the Alaskan seafloor and they have no idea what it is. It says, uh, th this is from the Business Insider story. Earth's oceans are vast and mysterious and scientists have yet to describe roughly 91% of its species. That's terrifying when you think about it. 91% of what's down there, we don't even know about. It's not entirely surprising then that deep sea explorers just found something entirely new during an Alaskan expedition. But this particular object, which looks like the remains of some type of golden orb or egg, surprised scientists. Quote, I don't know what to make of that, said a researcher during a live stream of the expedition. The mysterious object that resembles a reject from Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory was discovered on August 30th as part of the Seascape Alaska 5 expedition that's using a remotely operated vehicle to map uh, the Alaska seafloor. The team that found it is with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration Ocean Exploration. So I'll, I'll just cut to the chase. I mean, like folks who are on YouTube, you are seeing on your screen right now, it's kind of like a cross between a golden egg and like the aliens from 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 like Aliens 3, like, like one of those monster <laughs> things. And they think it could possibly be an egg. We have no idea what this is. And they sent the rover to go like prod and pick this thing up. This is going to end in tears. If I have ever seen a situation that's something, I mean, like, look at this. This is this is horrific. Something terrible is going to happen as a result of, <laughs> what is well, this? 
to what, begin with. I, I got to say, what a power play by the ocean <laughs> folks. What a power play by oceanographers. They realized that it, this was the summer of UFOs, right? That had a groundswell of support behind it. You UFOs. had a lot of people talking about it. Now, all of a sudden, how do we, how do we, how do we change the narrative? Let's just find a golden orb. Like, hey, wait That's a minute. That's a good point. Wait a minute. Let's let's bring some back. If attention. you're big so ocean, you're like, okay, all this talk of UFOs, don't like it was brought up in the presidential debate. How do we change the narrative? How Bingo. do we get it back? You think it's a plant? You think, you think they? I think it? there's a healthy dose of skepticism behind this golden orb. I mean, you had Aaron Rodgers on Hard Knocks talking about his own personal UFO experience. You had it in the presidential debate, right? You gotta you gotta bring some attention back home, right? Ninety one percent of it is unexplored. Oceanographers and you know uh, the. I mean that's uh, a that's a terrifying. The ocean stands. They're like, wait a minute, we need a little bit of love too. When, when they say like ninety one percent of the creatures in the ocean have yet to be discovered, first off, that's a horrific statistic. Like, how have we allowed this to happen? Why are people not down there in the oceans? Why why have we not killed, eaten every species that we can find down there? That's why we end up with situations like this. To me, that you know, I thought of this. I was like, why is it? People have not discovered what the hell this could be to begin with. And it's 100% because all this like environmental bullshit of like, we can't go down there. We can't scrape the ocean floor. We can't find out what's good to eat. We can't find out what's happening down there. The same way that all these movies have come out being like, you know, no more whale hunts, which we know whales are a renewable resource. Like, I mean, that's a given. But this is yet another example. Like, if you don't know what the hell kind of animal this is, it could be anything. It could do anything to us. Yeah, it kind of gives you hope that Atlantis might be might be real, right? <laughs> I mean, kind of gives you hope. <laughs> there, a golden egg at the bottom of the ocean, and and I think maybe there's more of to it. To me, there's a reason that mainstream media is not talking about this. I mean, this is a very weird thing to happen. The like you saw that thing got like yeah. vacuumed up by the little robot. They bring it to land, and it's still like just this deformed egg. And uh, what I want to know is why didn't they cut the damn thing open? What's in there? Why don't we know what's in there? You're asking the right questions. That's the, that's the thing. That's the, those are the questions they don't want to answer. That's 100%. So, but but uh, but also, the ocean folks, they have to still maintain some degree of, of ambiguity here because they want that attention to remain on them. They can't have it revert back to the you know, hot UFO summer. That's a, like, They do not want it back. Dude, I, I buy into that. that is, that, you, that's a, a really good point. That did not occur to me. Big Ocean 100% would love to use something like this to get themselves front and center i don't know something's up with that i don't think it's normal i think this is going to end in tears i think something horrible is down there uh i don't know why this administration hasn't done anything about this that is not normal that is something weird that's something terrifying we should cut it open we should find out what's in there and we should get the rest of the things that make that i mean biden's lucky he's able to put his shoes on in the morning. you think he's gonna <laughs> you think he's read in on the gold orb that that big ocean discovered so this topic right here this, uh, that we're about to jump into, this is my favorite. Speaking of horrible creatures, journalism is the most regretted college degree. Uh, this graphic is incredible. This is coming to us from CNBC. Uh, this is the percentage of graduates who would pick a different major if they could. Journalism, 87%. 80 7% of people who go into journalism wish they would have picked a different major if they could. And that number two is sociology at 72%. So 15% higher is journalism. It's pretty overwhelming. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's incredible. I mean, honestly, if you want to, you know, you want to round up, like so you round up 10 journalists, like nine of them just completely regret <laughs> having ever studied that in college. Uh, and like, look, 
as somebody who you know deals with um, a lot of folks who are journalism majors, um, you know, I. I think sometimes what makes a good journalist is somebody who has a, a kind of a breadth of experience in different areas that aren't necessarily particular to, um, you know, the whole editorial process or, you know, the, some of the methods that, you know, they might study in journalism school. Like just, you know, what's the best way to get an education in journalism? Uh, go talk to people. I think that's go like go to three or four different places a year that you wouldn't otherwise visit on a vacation. Um, uh, and I think that's because the way that the uh, system of promotion has, has been broken. Now kids out of journalism school just come to some place here in D.C. and sit on Twitter all day and write breaking news stories. That's they're breaking news reporters, which is code for whatever's getting engagement on Twitter. Instead of going out to, you know, cover a go to Miami and cover the city council, go to, um, you know, some go to Springfield, Illinois and cover the state house. Right. Cover actual other issues happening in states around America and just gradually build your way up and it'll you know I think that's 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 a better degree than you that you could get in journalism than actually like studying it in school well that's the thing is I think a lot of of this regret comes from exactly what you're describing is because journalism as it once was of like reporting the news reporting the facts and like the whole ethos of like okay we want to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted that's all out the window. It's all they just want, like, the Taylor Lorenz model, like you were saying, of, like, I want as many followers on TikTok and Instagram as possible. I'm not going to be reporting on, like, what matters in people's lives. I'm going to report on what can get me the most clicks, dropping these, like, horrific takes. That's basically what their business model has become. And 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 the journalism schools themselves aren't, aren't free from any of the blame. Like, you look at, the t- like, the top journalism schools, you think of, like, you know, Columbia or, or, or Metal or uh, um, UNC. Th- this is essentially just like left-wing training camps, right? Where all the journalism takes now essentially are just like, okay, we are either going to independently create talkers for the Dems or we're basically going to take Dem talkers that their comms directors send us and run with that as if it were news. So the whole industry itself is is on its head and I, I think almost irredeemable at this it, point. The incentive structure is broken and some of the best reporters some of the best journalists I've ever worked with you've never heard of yeah because of that incentive structure where people like Taylor Lorenz who are not real journalists are overshadowing those that are doing the right thing that are doing good work um, you know I often get asked by people who don't work in politics like how do you what, what is it like to work with a lot of reporters I go a lot of times the best reporters you'll you'll see like that you'll, that you'll see on TV some of the ones that you do, like they don't actually report things out but then other times there are those that do there are some who get unfairly criticized uh and i know that because it's like hey yeah actually like they like make a good faith effort to call republicans i know for a fact that they talk to a lot of republicans there are some now and that's the that's the most alarming part i would love to sit in on a journalism class i would today like what does the class of 2024 journalism students like what are they actually studying are they reaching out to like sources are they reaching out to Republicans to get their perspective because that's really important it's one thing to write a story but as long as the uh, the if the at least we have our side reflected that's a huge that's a huge value to um, getting in a more accurate piece in front of the American public and, and it's really interesting to say that because like I think a lot of the problem number one with modern journalism is is they're on Twitter and they see the feedback that they get as like their guiding star as being a reporter so their replies, if they say anything that's critical of a Democrat, 
is they will see like, oh, wow, trying to both sides this argument, which is this bad faith argument essentially that just says if you're conservative, your views are invalid. They'll hit reporters with this constantly of like, oh, wow, how can you try to report both sides on this of trying to be essentially fair and balanced? And then the journalist sees themselves getting ratio and like, oh, God, I, I, I should, I guess, stop talking to Republicans and, 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 and start just going with essentially what's become, you know, the slack at work telling me just push left wing, you know, talkers. You had a good reporter who dared to question whether or not John Fetterman was capable of executing yeah. the duties of a United States senator and then reported on what she was seeing during their interview and she got criticized for it. Why? Like, Absolutely. I remember and then we all, destroyed. Then, like we're all watching this with our own two eyes and then we saw what happened when he when he actually joined the Senate. We saw what happened on the debate stage. This was prior to those debates when then suddenly everyone's like, well, why were they criticizing her? Because you had someone who was a very prominent journalist, Kara Swisher, who has, you know, a massive microphone. I wouldn't call Kara a journalist, but yes, yeah, she's a prominent yeah, left wing. She, she went out and attacked him. And like, that's the sort of thing where it's like, uh, that's that's fundamentally broken. Look, I could go on all day because there are also some things that are happening on our side that aren't helpful to the reporter uh, communications operative relationship, right? Like we all, at the end of the day, uh, we have to find a way to succeed for our party. Uh, to succeed, and sometimes that it, that does mean having uh, you know a conversation with a reporter, not just ignoring them, but they also have to make sure that they're reaching out. So, from your experience, you deal with a lot of reporters. How so? It says eighty-seven percent of journalism majors regret it, would pick a different major if they could. How much of that do you think is self-loathing? Because to me, that strikes me as like a huge part of this. I mean, that is. I mean, it's pretty. That is remarkable that that many uh, regret it. I, I think some would probably rather just have issue expertise and something better, like, you know. I mean, that's the thing. Is, to economic, me, like, a lot of the journalism economics. now is just, like, there's no subject matter expertise whatsoever. Correct. It's like, you know, you, you're you're in Brooklyn, you're in your shitty apartment that you're paying way too much for, just, like, dropping takes to, to, to get ratioed until you follow the company line on Twitter. Because you used to have to go and report on different subjects, right? You might be uh, the environment reporter for the Miami Herald. Uh, you might be uh, somebody who's covering, tr covering transportation at the LA Times, right? Like you start off at a certain level and you, you, you understand how policy is made. You understand like how the process works instead of just coming to DC or going to New York and sitting on Twitter and just looking at things that go like that get great engagement. Like, Oh, let's write that up because you know, um, some random bot account with like 300,000 followers tweeted something and it has, you know, now it has like, you know, 900 views. Like that's, that makes you less informed. Whereas I think a lot of journalists in from a kind of an older, a from an older era, from a different era, bygone era, if you want call it that um actually had to go out and like get issue subject matter expertise in all these different areas so now I, I think if i look at that number there's probably a lot of them who are saying hey yeah i'd be better off you know getting more uh, information on different areas that allow me to more accurately report on issues so that i understand it all as i'm being pitch stories or abs uh, as i'm consuming information as i'm watching these policy debates play out in states or on capitol hill yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that is a huge part of the problem is, you know, you'll hear these stories of where even journalists themselves are lamenting like, oh, God, you know, it's the death of local news. You don't have good local reporting on like the state level. Uh, that's because the whole paradigm has changed for what these kids want coming out of school. They do not want to go to, you know, uh, 
the Atlanta Journal Constitution and and grind it out at the state house level, build a fundamental understanding of how politics works, and then work their way up. You know, eventually maybe get to the Washington Post. They want the first job out of college to be the Washington Post, and actually. There are kids who are ending up in these situations where, like, I know, like, uh, every campaign cycle, NBC News does a thing where they're like, hey, here's our new class of, uh, you know, campaign reporters straight out of college. We're, we're throwing them on the road. Uh, now these kids are going to be dropping takes while they're out with their phones on the campaign trail. I know you have to deal with these folks, <laughs> but at the same time, like, that's journalism now. It's like a kid fresh from college who's just got, uh, you know, a, a smartphone, smartphone in a dream. Drop and takes from the road. If you do that job right, and I know a lot that have, because uh, one of my first one of my first jobs was working up in New Hampshire with a lot of those embeds on a presidential, and you get a great opportunity to interact with a lot of people who go to different events. So you can make the most of those opportunities as long as you're actually talking to people, try, try to have a better understanding of why the electorate's moving in a certain direction, why some applause lines, why some policy ideas are actually resonating um, with with voters of a particular party or with independent voters, whatever it may be. You just have to make the most of the time there. I would say I'm you know, a little concerned here that um, communications majors are at fourth. <laughs> um, you know, I, I just... I. I Gonna have to uh, look into that a little bit deeper. Uh, I have no regrets, but <laughs> I, I don't see. Com- I must be. I must be one of the uh, one of the four that, uh, that doesn't have a doesn't have a regret for majoring in that so, subject. So th- this actually ends up being like a two prong story. So this goes into what uh, CNBC had an article when they were discussing this uh, information right here, where they said that some experts say the value of a bachelor's degree is fading. And more emphasis should be directed towards career training. I think this is a huge story. We've heard it a little bit. Uh, you know, you'll hear this from folks like J.D. Vance, uh, some other good conservatives who are pointing out the fact that there for so long has been this stigma on, quote, trade schools, mm-hmm. right, where you actually learn how to do something as opposed to something like journalism where 87% of the people regret it. You actually learn a skill and you end up making, I think a lot of that 87% as well is for for the vast majority of journalists, you're not making a great wage and you're probably based in a city that's expensive, right? So that's like a, a, a double whammy for you. As opposed to all, all these Americans who make the choice that I'm going to go to a trade school, HVAC is a classic example. Like, you know, there are folks who decided to focus on HVAC, getting out of high school, who are just making it rain. They're getting six figures, living in a wonderful suburb, excellent quality of life. You know, you've got a wife, you've got kids, you've got disposable income. You actually know how to do something as opposed to just like, you know, I just drop takes (laughs) in the Slack and and on Twitter and call myself a journalist. And for so long, that's been looked down on, you know, like like uh, there was this. I, I think this is part of the reason why you hear all these like lefties saying that, like, oh, God, we need to have our college debt forgiven. Number one, you made that choice on your own. You signed that contract. Number two, when you choose to go into something like number like uh, uh, the second most rare, yes. sociology, sociology, how are you going to pay for that student loan? Yeah, How are you going to pay for that student loan? It's a failure by those academic advisors to not properly prepare their students for life after college, what the actual earning potential might be, and that's going to factor into but, it. But here's the thing is, I think, you know, that academic advisor, their incentive, well, at the college at least, their incentive is like, okay, well, let's let's keep the kid here. Yeah. It doesn't matter how long it takes them to graduate. Every year that they're here, we're getting paid. Like the college is getting paid, 
either way, whether it's by a, 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 the kid themselves, with his parents, whether it's by the loan that's taken out, the college is getting paid. Like we are not looking at all uh, towards that issue of where colleges, like the the growth in the expenditures of colleges for why it's gotten so expensive is not because professors are asking for more money or, or, or kids are getting better quality of education. It's because they're getting pumped full of like administrators that they have to pay for. Like, okay, we've got the DEI, you know, uh, uh, officer here on campus who's pulling down 120 grand that kids now have to pay for. And we've got 50 of them. And so now they want student loan forgiveness as opposed to, you know, why forego taking that student loan in the first place and actually learning a skill in a trade, which, I mean, for so long, it's been stigmatized. And it turns out that those folks, you know, like in the CNBC article, they say themselves that, you know, when you see these statistics that say that uh, over over a lifetime, you know, a four year degree is is the way to go in terms of earning potential. That's because they include, you know, STEM degrees in there. So, of course, if you're going in like engineering, if you're becoming a nuclear scientist or something, you're going to do great. But if you remove those, that's the problem. And that's exactly you're seeing on this list of people who regret their major with 87 percent of journalists. I just can't get over that number. And, you know, now I understand why they're just such horrific, bitter people. Honestly, like 87 percent, 87 percent of any group that says I've made a horrible choice they can't be, they can't be happy people, uh, and yet those are the folks who tell us what's what. I, I'm with you on the focus and the shift back toward, you know, workforce development, uh, empowering people. It's a let, let the free enterprise system work. Yeah. You know, one um, really interesting uh, thing you've seen from several different Repu- Republican governors, and I know Governor Ducey out in Arizona did this. Who has a you know new group that's focused on free enterprise. But during his time as as governor, they, the occupational licensing ref- licensing reform, which again, yeah. none of this stuff is going to generate clicks on Twitter, but this actually improves people's lives. Talking about you know investing in workforce development, giving somebody who does not want to go to college an opportunity to start an HVAC company mm-hmm. or um, you know work in that for 10, 12 years, gain considerable amount of experience, understand how the business works, and then launch their own business, and then employ. 10 people um somebody who wants to be an electrician right like who at the end of the day we're all we're still gonna need more electricians we're yeah. still gonna need plumbing we're yep. still gonna need all these critical services uh because the other stunning fact is because as things have gotten easier in society we've stopped learning things yeah we've started to rely more on you know um you know, let me let me Google that. Like, yeah, let me, yeah, I, I can just learn this from Google. Yeah, instead of like actually learning it, so that you can you know solve these issues yourself. So we're going to always need people who can provide these services, um, and you know that's that's you know obviously there are, there are going to be people who want to get college degrees, um, and that should be an option. It shouldn't be the only option to get a, a, a wage that you can you know you know, raise a family on and, and then, you know, if their kids want to go to college, cause that's, that's their choice. Then great. Then you have the resources to help them pay for that or, 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 you know, whatever it might be, uh, just opening up other avenues for people to, uh, achieve the American dream. That's it. And, and, and you know, I, to, to, to go with, uh, this whole story that we had on 87% of journalists regret that in my opinion, this is a bit more fake news. Uh, this is a story from U.S. News that says that Switzerland is number one in the 2023 U.S. News Best Countries ranking. It says Switzerland has retained its top spot in U.S. News and World Report's annual Best Countries ranking, marking the second year in a row and the sixth time overall the Central European nation has placed number one. Small landlocked country is followed by Canada, 
at number two, Sweden at number three, Australia at number four, and the U.S. at five, which is down a spot from 2022 in the latest edition of the analysis. Uh, this is ridiculous to begin with. To, to my knowledge, there is no, uh, you know, like uh, migrant crisis happening on the borders of Switzerland, Canada, Sweden, or Australia. It seems like, you know, if, if we have tons of people at the border fighting to get into the country, this maybe is the best place possible. For, for, for this ranking, it, it, it just seems patently absurd. I mean, I think everyone knows this is the best country on earth. To me, this, this, this is kind of like, you know, one of these like lib contrarian takes of like, oh, I'm mad at America mm-hmm. kind of bullshit of like, okay, the U.S. is number five on earth by what metric? This is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it's like Aaron Sorkin, you know, wrote this from some some scene of, of the newsroom, yeah. RIP. Um, look, you hear harrowing stories every day of migrants who... Um, are seeking a better life for their family and go through absolute hell in order to 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 make it here. Or not just migrants too, but just think about all of the the, the different folks from, different, across, from, from, from from across from across the world uh, who come here to use the American educational higher education system or even uh, the the. Uh, secondary education, right? Like, think about all the people who come here to get an education. Ultimately, want to stay here because we are a very prosperous. We we offer a very prosperous society, a way to get ahead in life. Um, I, you know, some of these metrics. I mean, you know, That's Europe, Europe breaking that high. I mean, uh, you know, Switzerland. Uh, I, 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 I really want to get so so this mountains. is this is directly from uh, the the article. It says the best countries rankings and analysis from U.S. News are formed in partnership with Global Marketing, you know, uh, and and Wharton School of Business, UPenn. Of course, you got an Ivy League saying that America is not the best, but it says this is a, a global survey in which more than seventeen thousand people across thirty six nations associate various countries with specific attributes ranging from quote dynamic, safe, and a leader to cares about human rights economically stable and committed to social justice <laughs> i mean to me that right there explains 100 percent how this bullshit happens i remember like uh, a couple of years ago where it was like uh journalists were, were pushing the story of like america is like the second or third most dangerous country on earth for journalists this is back when trump was president so of course they're like, oh my god, you know, I could have some mean tweets directed at me. I'm persecuted. This is probably the worst place on earth. I think that falls in line exactly with what's happening here. Is they're like, oh, it falls in line with social justice. You know, this is essentially just like a DEI ranking metrics, of- me- metrics that other people who are of the same mindset deem important Bingo. to coming up with a ranking system. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it, it's. <laughs> <laughs> the the, the journals have run amok yet again, and and, and the University of Pennsylvania and the, ac- is more and, the, than, and the academics who yeah, it's all the worst yeah, people have yeah. combined to talk, say that America's number five. Talk about group thinks. Talk to talk to an academic. <laughs> yeah, like talk like just listen to you know, yeah. I as somebody who uh, obviously you know we both we both went and got our college degrees, and we spent a lot of time in f- sitting in the. Uh, classrooms of different professors and there's not a whole lot of uh professors who no. are open to disagreement uh or who uh welcome uh contrarian opinions or different perspectives on things and, and so that's yeah that, that that's that's key that and, and it could only be that this. group that would put canada at number two which is just like 
What like no person in Canada themselves would be like we're the second greatest nation on earth. Like all you hear in the news from Canada is everyone hates uh, uh, Justin Trudeau. Uh, the government is doing horrific, horrible things. Uh, and, and now there's like state sanctioned suicide. Like it's such a great country that like the state's now going to pay you to kill yourself. They'll cover the cost of that. So it must be definitely the number two greatest country in the world. This, this is kind of like when Emmanuel Macron had the audacity to lecture us after the, the Dobbs decision. Oh, um, totally. And like, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what's going on here? There, there are a lot of other. When France you know, has more restrictive abortion laws abortion. in the United States. Like, what, are you, what, are you, what, are you, what are you doing up there on your ivory tower? But, but that's the thing. That's exactly the whole situation is those are the people dropping these takes. Like yeah. it, it, you don't have to be aware of what's actually happening in the country, which is why uh, this is part of the rebuttal. I wanted to pull this up. This is from the BBC on what is happening uh, right now in England, they're giving tips, folks, on how to keep your home cool because, you know, they have not discovered air conditioning yet. In England, they're saying putting a fan by the window will pull in cooler air from outside. And they had to make a graphic. And they said, like, basically put a bowl of ice in front of the fan. Blowing air over ice will help cool the air being blown through. Well, well. this sounds like a top-ranking country in my mind yeah. it's like a, a hundred degrees and here's what we're gonna do we're gonna put a bowl of ice in front of a fan and we're gonna make like number three on the list of best countries this this would be, this is european technology i mean this, yeah this would be this would be bernie sanders. what if ice and fan this would be like bernie sanders america <laughs> this would be like his blue sky scenario he's already you know he's up there on the hill now pushing for continued nationalized health care you have uh you know this is like your your standard um you know what what life would be like if any of his policies actually this is, effect. so this is so for me to begin with i i think everyone in england knows what they are i think they realize that their country their purpose they're basically a harry potter theme park right like everyone in the world goes there and they're like oh look it's so charming everyone is talking about shillings and pence and you know their chimney sweeps and such and 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 we know harry potter comes from there it it, it's not, it doesn't exist as like a real country like no one's like oh damn england just did this or like oh wow look at what england is up to no one no no one ever says that it's all about like okay here's what america's up to here's what america's building uh so this is from the article. It says fans are a, quote, relatively cheap and energy efficient way to keep air moving. This is like stunning information for the British. It says and can help you stay cool using a freestanding fan costs about 20 pence to 40 pence for continuous use over a 24 hour period, according to the Energy Saving Trust. Like, again, I have to go back like. People say like like this, this ranking system has Europe so high Yet their their government is telling them try running a fan to keep cool because we know air conditioner technology has not yet arrived on our shores. And number two, like the fact that they have all these like energy commissions, like Canada's got the suicide commission that I already mentioned. And then England's healthcare system essentially is like, well, if you have a heart attack, maybe next year we can fit you into an appointment. This is the people who like the left looks at as like, okay, we need to make our society more like that. Uh, I think you were right with the ranking system where, like, Switzerland, I mean, 
I mean, it's like a, a metaphor, right? <laughs> like I'm Switzerland. Like, yeah, it's because it's like the least confrontation. Exactly. It's like the least objectionable place. So like, yeah, that of course, yeah, your, your ranking system, like what are you actually ranking? What's the actual value attributed to different categories? Um, America is the, the greatest place um, on earth where you could go from, uh, you could go from, you know, sweeping streets uh, to being like Brooklyn, in, you could be a chimney sweep and become to, governor. Yeah, exactly. You can go from a, a, you know, from just overnight, right? Like, I mean, you want to stack generations after generations, right? But only there's really only one place in the world where you can have overnight success through just hard work and determination. Um, if you put your mind to something, you can ultimately give your your family more opportunity than you had, and that's this should be the goal of of every parent. Um, that should be the goal of every generation is to leave the next better off than you had it. Um, that's why it's important for us to stay committed to you know the free enterprise system where you and have those sort you have those sort of um, opportunities. And I don't think a rating system like this factors that to the equation at all. It's yeah. just like, hey, do you do you not offend anyone? Like yeah, do you not I mean, well, do you not do anything important enough to you know come on anyone's radar? Well, when eighty seven percent of journos hate themselves, it's pretty clear that they don't want any kind of growth. They don't believe in any of that. But so this final segment I have to get into because I received probably at least fifty messages on Twitter, Instagram, everywhere possible, tagging me in this story. This one is coming from Forbes. It says flying in peace. This airline is creating an adults-only section. It says, Corandon Airlines, a Turkish-Dutch carrier, is about to launch an, quote, only adult zone on its flights between Amsterdam and the sun-kissed Caribbean island of Curaçao starting on November 3rd so that grown-ups can savor the joy of a child-free journey. Strategically positioned at the front of the Airbus A350, this new oasis of calm will have 93 seats reserved exclusively for anyone aged 16 plus walls and curtains will help maintain its exclusive silence so two things first off i think this is a great idea i've spoken many times about how we should all agree southwest is where you put the families you know the kids until until you have uh you know gotten to the point as a parent where you're willing to Discipline your kids and your children understand I have to act responsibly in public. I shouldn't be a nuisance, which is sadly, it's a lot to ask, you know, like an entire generation of kids right now is being raised by an iPad because their parent just doesn't want to deal with it. So when you see them on planes, it's like the kid is freaking out if the iPad's not fully charged or the kid is freaking out because they're bored. Like I remember that was completely unacceptable. Number one to begin with, like being, being noisy, let alone causing problems for other people in public. For me, not happening, you know, just the way I was raised. That's 100% not allowed. And I think that's why you're seeing folks try things like this is because this is a response to, you know, parents, you know, millennial parents, whatever parents, not actually doing their job of parenting the kid and making sure, hey, you know, maybe I should have my child act respectfully in public that now you're having companies having to pick up the slack and being like, okay, we will create only an adult zone. So everyone who's in this area can be, can be sure that you're not going to put up with someone's kid who was raised irresponsibly by parents who handed him an iPad. My problem here is they said walls and curtains will help maintain its exclusive sounds. That doesn't work. No, does not work. It's not like <laughs> this know who they kidding. <laughs> some magic curtain of like, 
Okay, folks, everyone in the back, the animals, you can't hear yeah, them now. That's like the first class curtain where they're like, they're like, yeah, no one else can use the bathroom up there. Everyone just walks through and uses the bathroom yeah, anyway. Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to take a lot more than that. So, so, again, I go back to Southwest should become like the universally accepted carrier of like, okay, if, you, if you're traveling with the family and you haven't gotten to the point where you've disciplined your children to the point where they can sit on a plane silently, they can travel to the airport silently, Use Southwest. Like, we should all agree that's the barn. There's, like, no rules. You know, you get on Southwest. Like, to my understanding, they don't even have, like, assigned seats on, on Southwest. It's basically, like, when you yeah. get there, you get there. You know, you, you, you line up. You, you have a fist fight. You do whatever it takes. You get on the plane. And you, it's, like, finders keepers, Yeah, essentially. And, you know, look, I'm, I'm sure the listeners are going to have a divided opinion on this. I'm sure uh, your perspective is going to engender um, some pretty pretty funny responses but <laughs> I, I i would say this the biggest thing that you that, that most people should take into account is one you're 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 dealing with raising the next generation of people you're dealing with small humans you're 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 providing a a valuable service to society right that's apparent there has to be like a human element to it the same time you have to make an effort yeah. if you aren't yes. making an effort to deal with an unruly child yep. Then, then, then that's a failure in your part. How, how many times do you remember being on a plane where a kid's just like going ham, losing its mind, wailing, and you see the parents, and it's just indifference and defeat. There, there, you know, there are some. There are some that are completely checked out. Um, They're like, I, I handed the kid the iPad. Yeah. Why isn't he behaving? I thought that was how this rolls. I had a wild flight recently. <laughs> I had a wild flight recently. Um, I got an upgrade, so I was in an IC. I had a, a parent hand the kid the iPad. And there were no headphones. The kid was just there were no headphones <laughs> behind. Uh, there were no headphones. They were just listening. They're just going Peppa for full blast. Uh, for probably 15, 20 minutes, and then like somebody realized. I think the, the the flight attendant might have walked by and like tapped like the parent who was sitting across from the two kids and said, "Like hey," because all of a sudden like I no longer could hear it. I had my headphones in. I I just kind of ignored it. Wanted to go about my business, but I was like, "Well, oh, that's a while. That's a first. Like that was the first. Usually, there are headphones attached to the iPad to, to entertain the, the, the child. I, I think that's, that's that part and parcel of the whole thing. Is there's been just this complete loss of kind of respect of where it's like parents. A lot of parents now, the the, the quote iPad parents are like, "Give me a break, man. I've got a kid. You know." Let the kid blast Peppa Pig on a plane. And if it irritates other people, who cares, man? Give me a break. I'm a parent. It's like uh, you're a parent if you do the job of a parent. And that includes raising your kid. And having Peppa Pig blast another iPad, you're not being a parent at that point. You know, take care of your job. Your job is to take care of your kids, make sure your kids are doing the right thing. Like there's become this sense of like entitlement among the iPad parents where they're like, hey, someone else take care. You know, like this is your problem. This is not my problem. You know, and that's what you end up with. Yeah, or just ignore it. And like, that's the one thing I always have a deep degree of sympathy when you see parents who are obviously trying to deal with child. And like, I would say on average, on average, I think if the more kids, kids are problem, the parent is more trying. kids, more kids on a plane than not are behaving. It is a handful that have different issues. The one thing I'm also very sensitive to is like crying babies. The air pressure, man. I, as an adult, I get uh, my ears. Same. But, yeah. but, but that happened when I was a kid too. You, you, you do it quietly. You, you look. The, I, I, well, sometimes see, this they, is the thing is like if the baby can't speak yet, that's no, the only I, way they they, they I, I, identify like there's a problem. So then don't put them on the plane. 
Like that's the, there are station wagons. There's ways to travel the country without inconveniencing. That's the thing is like, I remember crystal clear when I was a child, like if I had ever acted up in public, that was an absolute no, no to be like, like that should be given. Like so much of this, like when you're saying that, like, oh, it's one thing if you see the parents actually trying in public, uh, -uh the trying happens before you're in public. At home, you can't predict. at home, you can't the child predict. should know, you can't predict hey, look, there's the going to be pressure. consequences. You can't predict the air pressure. Th that's why, like, if you if your kid's going to start wailing, don't put them on the plane. Get in the station wagon. There's so many ways to travel the world, this country, without inconveniencing others. Like, the supposition that, like, okay, every iPad parent is, uh, you know, they should be allowed and they're guaranteed to be able to travel wherever they want, even if it inconveniences others, even if their kid's going ham and they've been completely derelict in their duties as a parent. I don't buy it. I'm going to stand here and defend the parents. I'm, I'm going to stand here and defend the parents of, of young children. But I got to ask you the question. What is your target range for children? Like what is when you see kids on a plane, mm -hmm. when you see a parents with children on a plane, what age bracket would you say you're like, uh oh, we here, could have a situation on our hands. So here's the thing is I don't see like a, a specific age. I, I flip that around. I think it should be understood by parents that if I'm traveling with my child, that's kind of, it, 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 it used to be like this. It should be that parent's promise to the public that at the very least, the, 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 the absolute bottom of the barrel is that my child would not be a problem to you. You know, like the, what happened to any sort of like a social contract of like, if I go out in public, I'm not gonna be a menace. Like that's the like bar, that's the lowest bar you have to clear as a human being. And so as a parent, that still applies to you because here's the, here's the wild word that most of these iPad parents have never heard of, it's responsibility. You're responsible for the child. Don't get on the plane if you think your kid might be a problem. Have some responsibility, have some self-respect because everyone's looking at you, the kid's wailing, you're not doing anything about it. Everyone's looking at you, do you know why? Because you messed up. But, what, messed about, up? but what about the parents that are making an effort to like, console the child or, or quiet the child down or that's they a, had a momentary episode again, where there was a little... Again, all that should happen at home before the flight. If you don't have absolute confidence in the child behaving correctly and respectfully as a child should in public, don't get on that plane. Like that's, how does that even need to be explained? And, and the problem is that requires discipline and work, which is why all these parents have checked out on it. What are your thoughts about children in first class? If they, if they can meet that bar, if they can meet that bar, then absolutely like you have to like I, I can't stress this enough i very specifically remember especially with the ear popping thing i remember when i would travel with my parents would take flights i mean i was i was a tiny little kid they'd always hand hand us a, a stick of gum on takeoff and landing because that helps with the ear popping yeah. like it's incumbent upon parents to be responsible for the behavior of the children not the public we're not raising your kids you're supposed to raise your kids but that infant who cannot yet speak and the parents don't might not know plane. might not know that there is an issue. It, it, don't take because not plane. every every flight path is the same. Like air pressure, not you should not different. be like I don't know what my kid's gonna do. You know what I mean? Like I don't <laughs> well, know what's the, gonna happen. I mean that's that's literally that's, raising a child. That's, no, <laughs> but that's the thing is it's not. It's, it's, it's like 18, 18, 22 years it, of, of not necessarily knowing what's gonna happen. If you don't know what your kid is gonna do, you've already failed. I think like. The parenting is I dictate to the child the behavior. That should be the relationship. That was the relationship for me. It's like, you know, 
parents tell you what to do. That seems very simple. And that's why I think, you know, that slippery slope we see now in California where they're like, no, this, the, the child answers to the state. We can take the kid from the parents. I think that's the whole thing is like, okay, well, if the parents aren't, you know, going to be the the, the, the absolute, you know, uh, voice of reason and, and that they can have control of the child, someone else is going to step in. And, and, and you damn well don't want it to be the state. I, you know, I will always stand by the side of parents <laughs> who make an attempt, who have to travel to far locations and do not have the ability to do a 24 hour, you know, cross country drive or a 15 hour drive with uh, a, a child in a car. Uh, it's oftentimes, leave them, it's here, oftentimes harder. Here's the other thing. Leave them with grandma. Grandma would what if they're traveling love to see, see grandma, the kids. What if they're bringing your big, your big, bring grandma, you, bring grandma. One, one of your lines grandma for a very long time. Grandma does not want pancakes. Grandma does not want, you know, new technology. Yeah. All grandma wants is grandchildren. Yeah. So but you got to bring those grandchildren to them. If they're fly, fly grandma in, if, if your kids are going ham, fly grandma in. <laughs> what, if grandma, what if grandma can't, uh, can't make those trips anymore? She's Put her in a station wagon. Fun, you know, <laughs> there's the thing is that like, there is always a better way than having the public be subjected to your wild kids because you lack the ability to instill discipline. Do you think they should bring Navy to the White House? Bring who? Navy. The, is that the, 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 the hunters? Oh, hunter, the, the hunter stripper baby? Absolutely. Yeah. Bring the stripper bring the <laughs> <laughs> I fully support that. <laughs> they should definitely bring, but they should bring Navy to like, fly Navy up here to yeah. DCA. Let's <laughs> get her to the White House. <laughs> Amazing take. Excellent take. Well, I think we did it. Absolute banger of an episode thank you so much to my special co-host jesse hunt no thanks to ashbrook duncan and holmes who yet again are on vacation i hope you're enjoying your time off and thank you so much to the mains especially those who are watching us on youtube if you're not yet subscribed so until next time minions keep the faith hold the line and own the libs we'll see you on thursday stay ruthless